Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 368. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jamie, a.k.a. Agent X. And, uh, you know, normally we start the show out all excited and all hyped and talking about our big news, but it is with a heavy heart, as I'm sure everyone listening knows, that Stanley passed away this week. So that is, of course, the biggest thing in, in all of our worlds. I was at, like, an event last night and i was introduced to two people one was a food instagrammer that is his profession Mm -hmm. and another one who is a professional like fine artist lovely gentleman talking to them i said i work at marvel and they were like did you know stanley you know like these were people who they're not comic book fans as they told me but like they knew stanley and you know everybody knew stanley i know you know stan's impact I don't know if it will truly be felt for a long time. Like, he was so important to yeah. everyone and Absolutely. everything. You really can't talk about pop culture without talking about Stan Lee at this point. Between the movies and the comics and everything else that Marvel has touched, Stan Lee's going to be a really everlasting part of pop culture, I would think, among names like Walt Disney. Yeah. So Easily. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that Jamie and I were, were talking about was, you know, how do we talk about all this? Yeah. Because on Marvel.com, we've been we have all kinds of things that we put it up because we want to celebrate Stan's life and legacy. Uh, if you go to the site, there is an amazing video that was put together by our crew here. Uh, yeah, Harry. Harry I want to shout out Harry Go specifically. I've worked with Harry a long time, and I, I adore Harry. And he put together this wonderful remembrance video tribute for Stan. There's comics you can read of Stan's work. If you haven't read a Stan issue in a long time, they're available on, on the site. Most likely, if you're a listener to the show, you've seen we have an episode of myself and Lorraine Sink, co-host of Earth's Mighty Show, talking about our personal reflections and remembrances of Stan, because she and I got to have the like the privilege of interviewing him numerous times over the years. Uh, that was tough. Like Lorraine and I were both like on the edge of crying the entire time. That's and, understandable. Yeah, and we recorded that that day, you know, like hours after we heard. It was just so raw in our minds. Uh, but we were laughing and talking about these things about Stan that were so great. You know, he was, he was wonderful. Yeah, I think as a creative storyteller, Stan was a legend. And just as a person, Stan being Stan was an absolute legend. And whenever he would talk about his characters, it was... There's so much more than just, you know, fun and fantasy. They're humans. There's such a human element that Stan brought to these guys alongside Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, this whole, the whole bullpen. And uh, Stan was their hype man. Yeah, and, and it, th- that for me is one of the, the most inspiring. Like the thing that has directly inspired my career is Stan Lee and the way he talked about and hyped up Marvel, the characters, our stories, our our beliefs, like what we stand for with the stories we tell. Um, That is sort of how I've thought about the way I go through things. I'll never, obviously never be a stand, but actually like thinking about I'm I'm excited and I want you to be excited. And that always was the way that Stan felt like he was excited about these characters he was creating, the, the people he was working with, the stories that they were telling. And that always came across. And that is 
always top of mind for me because he was the perfect guy to get you ready to read next month's issue of Fantastic Four or whatever adventure was coming for the Avengers. I mean, he was he was the best. Uh, so yeah, there's there's tons you can read and and hear, watch, listen to about Stan uh, on Marvel.com, and uh, Stan will be missed but never forgotten. Never. All right, on to the rest of the show. This episode is actually a huge one. We're gonna have a lot of stuff in the news section, but our our big talk section this episode is with Jordan D. White, editor of the X Men, talking about. Uncanny X-Men, and just a primer of getting into the X-Men. But that's not the only X-Men thing. This week, our interview is uh, with Matt Rosenberg, Kelly Thompson, and Ed Brisson about Uncanny X-Men because the first issue came out this week, and it is massive. Jam-packed. Yeah. Two, it is wonderful. So that'll be later on in the show. But now, on to things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. First thing I want to point out is I'm on a special Earth's Mightiest Show video this week with Lorraine Sink talking about a just dope piece of art for War of the Realms by Russell Dodderman and Matt Wilson. It's our first look at War of the Realms, but we'll be talking about War of the Realms so much more as we get closer to the April 2019 launch of that series. It is probably the comic book story I am most excited for. I don't even know in, in, in how long. I've just been waiting, and I know what's in store. It's so cool. Next thing I wanted to make sure we hyped up about is that Marvel's Spider-Man Turf Wars downloadable content got some information. So I'm going to read some helpful info we got from the PlayStation blog. As hinted in Marvel Spider-Man The Heist, the first DLC, Hammerhead is the main antagonist of Marvel Spider-Man Turf Wars. And Hammerhead, super cool. He first appeared in the 70s in Amazing Spider-Man. Hammerhead is an organized crime boss who's, you know, had his cranium surgically enhanced into a deadly weapon. Like, literally, he'll just head down and just run into things. In addition... Marvel Spider-Man Turf Wars features three new suits, Iron Spider Armor, Spider-Clan, and Spider-Armor Mark I. I'm super excited. I have to get those suits ASAP, uh, which is good because Marvel Spider-Man Turf Wars releases on November 20th. It's really, really cool because there's one more after Marvel Spider-Man Turf Wars. We're going to have Marvel Spider-Man Silver Lining coming up in December, slated for. It's really neat. Speaking of Marvel's Spider-Man for PlayStation 4, It is nominated for seven categories, including Game of the Year at the Game Awards. So cool. You guys can go vote at thegameawards.com. Voting ends December 5th, and then you can tune in to the Game Awards on December 6th to see what we win. I'm so excited. The game deserves one billion awards. I mean, it's already gotten a bunch of awards, I think, in my heart. Oh, man. Cool. Go vote. TheGameAwards.com. Oh, this game does not stop. I yeah. love it. I love it. Totally. What we also love, there's a lot of publishing news oh, yeah. coming for Marvel Comics uh, this week and into next week as the next catalog comes out. So just get ready. We've got a bunch of stuff. What's up first? We've got Wolverine Infinity Watch number one, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Andy McDonald. This went up earlier this week. There's an image of... Wolverine Claws with Infinity Stones in it. I don't know how much cooler you can get. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Before Infinity Wars, before Return of Wolverine, we saw Wolverine back, I think it was in the pages of the Marvel Legacy one-shot. 
and he's back and he's in his tank top and his cowboy hat and his dungarees and he's got himself an infinity stone and everybody's like but he did what oh, happened guess what and so this <laughs> looks like it's going to tell the story of where he was how he had that infinity stone loki's gonna be in it which is pretty neat and a note like these things that we're talking about here are all coming in february that's sort of the cadence of things just peek behind the curtain the catalog comes out soon because we're letting our retailers know and, and you the fans know here are the comics coming out in february pre-order them get hyped get ready so that's what this is all about oh and there's so much and part of that is old man quill Written by Ethan Sachs, art by Robert Gill, with a cover by John Tyler Christopher, and a whole bunch of great variant covers. Yeah, there's just no, so many. Yeah. You, y'all, y'all be able to check those out um, all over, and they're they're gorgeous things too. So Ethan has been writing Old Man Hawkeye, which is <laughs> so good. He likes our old dudes. You know what? He <laughs> he writes them so well. Is like these battered and beaten grizzled yeah (laughs) heroes but they're still so strong and they're pushing so hard for whatever mission they're on old man hawkeye was so like boots on the ground dirty story of of clint and kate and their mission and this one is going into space oh cosmic old dudes Mm -hmm. i like it clint eastwood in space grumbling at things get off my planet (laughs) just like that exactly like that Also coming up in February, Hulk Vereens. I just, I'm sold by the title. Yeah, I mean, that, that's always been our shorthand for Weapon H because he's part Hulk, part Wolverine, part, you know, awesome soldier. So it's just been fun to call him Hulk Vereen. Yeah. Because it's an awesome name. And there are so many emotional issues going on with a Hulk Vereen. Yeah. Greg Pak is writing it, who's been writing Weapon H and who actually helped bring Weapon H to the fore in the pages of Weapon X. Uh, and then you're going to have Ario Anandito on art. It's going to be gorgeous. Love it. Also, we'll jump right to Guardians of the Galaxy number two. Donny Cates is, of course, writing the new Guardians. We still don't know who they are. Yeah, but hopefully, well... I should stop talking. I know <laughs> I know a lot more about ah. this series than I should or can let on. But Secrets. Yeah. Who will the new Guardians be is exciting. And Jeff Shaw drawing it. So good, as you saw on Thanos Wins. Great series. Oh, yeah. And uh, finally, this is our big win this week, is the Savage Sword of Conan. Yeah, Conan. Sorry. The Savage Sword of Conan. I do it, too. Yeah. I say Conan all the time. I have to correct myself. Poor guy's been gone for so long. Now he's coming back so he can correct the pronunciation of his name, which I can appreciate. Yeah, Jerry Duggan writing it with Ron Garney on art. It's going to be terrific. And this is the second Conan book we have. 2019 cannot get here soon enough if you are a Conan fan. If you're like me, a swords and sorcery fan who needs that fix at Marvel. Also this week on Earth's Mightiest Show, we announced the new Daredevil creative team is coming February 2019. Who's that team? Well, it's your boy, Chip Zdarsky and artist Marco Coquetto. I'm so hyped by this news, but you got to watch Earth's Mightiest Show to hear all about the new creative team. It's going to be so good, you guys. That is it for this week, but there's going to be more news next week. One thing, we're working on some end of the year stuff, which I think would be really cool. Just looking back at the year, but also looking forward to 2019 and just celebrating things. So listeners, uh, I would love for you to think about your favorite Marvel moments. 
you guys can send these answers in and we'll tally them. So think about your favorite Marvel moments of 2019. If one just strikes you, just you can tweet it to me, tweet it to Jamie. Just make sure you use that This Week in Marvel hashtag. You can just tweet it out there. Uh, oh, I think... This week may be my favorite week of comic book releases in 2018. We had 23 issues, I think. So it was stacked. Wow. But as I was reading it, I was like reading all these books. I was like, this is incredible. So the top issues from this week's episode of Marvel's Pull List were Avengers 700, Uncanny X-Men number one, Daughters of the Dragon number one, and Unbeatable Squirrel Girl number 38. Avengers number 700, maybe my favorite issue of Avengers. Uncanny X-Men number one is dynamite. It is so good. Daughters of the Dragon number one is our Marvel Digital Original series. It will punch you in the face. I can't wait. It is... you have yeah. to read it. I got the PDF early and immediately sent it to Tucker. And he was immediately like, oh, my goodness. This book is so friggin' good. I cannot stress enough. If you don't read digitally, I promise you this is a reason to read a digital book. Daughters of the Dragon, number one. Go read it. Uh, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, 38, is always delightful. Black Order, number one. Just surprised the crap out of me. It is so good. There's tons more. You can check out everything we talked about on the feed for Marvel's pull list. But really, it may be my favorite week of comics this year, which I'm is just, wild. I'm just smiling so hard because this sounds amazing. Yeah. But 23 comics, that's one comic for every hour of the day except for one. So you'll have time to eat. <laughs> so go for it. Go yeah. for all of them. You've, if you've got a day, you've got time for 23 comics. Exactly. Okay, before we get into our... Excellent big talk section this week. Oh, look at that. I want to give a big thanks to our advertiser, Marvel Strike Force, because I'm sure you've heard us talk about Marvel Strike Force before, but the Mobile Hero Collection RPG continues to host just great events and new and exciting characters. Download the game or launch it back up now and join the Brotherhood of Mutants event. All new characters include Mystique, Juggernaut, Sabretooth, Pyro, and more are joining forces to try and unlock the all-powerful Magneto. For those who haven't tried the game yet, Marvel Strike Force lets you form squads of heroes and villains to go head-to-head with players worldwide in this action-packed, visually stunning, free-to-play game for your phone or for your tablet. With groundbreaking gameplay cinematics, your heroes unleash dynamic chain combos and team-ups with a single tap. Marvel Strike Force is available in the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store, so download it now for free. Reminder, Marvel Strike Force. Heroes only. Download it today. All right. From uh, some ex-villains in Marvel Strike Force, now to our big talk section with Jordan D. White, who is editor of the X-Men books, especially Uncanny X-Men. First, before we get into Uncanny, let's talk to Jordan. Jordan! Yes? Uncanny X-Men! Heard of it? I'm very excited. It's going to be great. You should be excited. Yeah. First thing I wanted to talk to you about was what is your history with the X-Men first as a fan and now, you know, over the last, uh, how long have you been at Marvel? 13, 14 years? Uh, No, like 11. 11. And now professionally. Well, I got into the X-Men through Excalibur. I love Excalibur. I think the first issue I ever read of them was issue, I think, either four or five, the one with the janitor on the cover. Okay. Which is an amazingly hilarious cover and an amazingly hilarious issue with Arcade in it. 
who's awesome. And I, I got so into Excalibur and through that, that made me fall, I mean, kind of literally in love with Kitty Pride, like a lot of people of that age. At the time, she was an older woman. Now, of, so of 22? No, <laughs> at the time, she was, she, really? she was 15, but I was 12. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she couldn't have been that old. No, that's yes, what I'm saying. I was just very baby. young. Right. Um, but I, I thought she was awesome. I thought Nightcrawler was awesome. And I would follow those characters back through time into their previous appearances in the X Men and their future appearances in the X Men. And that got me into the larger X Men stuff world hmm. professionally i moved into the x-men office a few years into my career as an assistant editor and i worked under nick Lowe there i moved in there just before maybe a, less than a year before the schism event mm-hmm. so i worked on kieran gillen's uncanny x-men before that and then wolverine and the x-men and uncanny x-men after schism which i thought was an awesome Awesome, awesome time in X-Men history. I am totally on Team Logan, by the way. Yeah, me too. Good. And Wolverine and the X-Men is such a fun book with the Banffs and just, mm-hmm. you know, Wolverine and, and that whole school, all the characters that came out of mm-hmm. it. Like, it's which, a lot of fun. Which is not to say, again, I, I actually do love Kieran's uncanny uh, extinction team as well. I just kind of thought of them as like the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Sure. <laughs> were, you, were you a part of Sexy Sinister? Oh, I, I certainly was involved. I mean, it wasn't my idea, but I, I was working on the book around yeah. then. And it was, yeah, that's my favorite version of Sinister. The weird, he was like Victorian and he yeah. has a little town of himself. Yep. It was awesome. Sinister's <laughs> crazy, man. I love him. You know what's crazy is how much X history there is. Yeah. There's a There's lot. So very much. There is a lot. Uh, almost an unknowable amount. But that's not so because there are definitely people who know it inside and out. I believe that. And I think that they were just living there <laughs> in an X world of their very own where this is just second nature. I went on Twitter this morning and I made a joke that uh, Jean Grey had only been dead for a week. And that everything that happened, <laughs> <laughs> everything that happened between Grant Morrison's run and Phoenix Resurrection took place over one week. And <sighs> most people got that I was kidding. Some people did not. (laughs) I could. Oh, man. That is wonderful and mean. I love it. Um, Jordan, what do the X-Men mean to you? You know, I think about this a lot because they the X-Men have changed a lot over the years. They've been a lot of different things. So it's difficult to pin down what is like the one thing that all X-Men stories have in common. I'm not sure I've 100 percent cracked it. But the thing that I most often come back to on it is that original tagline of hated and feared by those they right. seek to protect yeah, or chosen chose to protect. sworn uh, sworn, sworn to, to protect, protect. there yeah. we go and because it, it emphasizes the fact that the x-men are heroes not for glory and not to be loved it doesn't help them it doesn't ever help them it puts more of a target on them if anything but they do it because it's right and that's who they are you know, I never really realized that about the X-Men, that they do go out and do heroic things, but are never really celebrated. No. They're never really given their due. That kind of makes me like them more. Yeah. Like the, the scrappy Marvel heroes. Yeah, I, I like, you know, when they were in San Francisco and they were working with the mayor, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it was still so tough. Yeah. And it was a horror show half the time because you have one person who's got your back and then millions who are just like, why? Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it makes for great dramatic stories. Agreed. I'm always worried about them. <laughs> you should be. Oh. So we, we had this primer video that we did with Uncanny X-Men co-writer Matt Rosenberg. That's going up alongside this episode. Listeners, you can uh, watch that on Marvel.com and YouTube and all the other places. Um, but in it, we talk about three things people should know about the X-Men. And Matt all right. and I sort of discussed this uh, beforehand, and then we came up with this. The, the first being that 
the X-Men is a family, be they by blood, families that are built together, like my wife and I are going to be adopting. So like this family that we are building is something I think about a lot or a family that is a team. You know, mm-hmm. because that is a really important thing, especially you, you were talking about Excalibur. Yeah. They really became a family Absolutely. together. What does that mean in terms of this new run of Uncanny X-Men? Tying back to that hated and feared, like they don't fit into society. And a lot of times, I mean, for a number of the characters, their actual by blood families have rejected them because of, of who and what they are. And yeah, so the X-Men represents like a family that has been made by choice, that they, they are the family that they chose together and that they can come together as a family, as a community, as friends and support one another. Wh- what does that have to do with disassembled? Well, I mean, I guess all families have their troubles. <laughs> I, you know, that's a thing, though. It's true. Uh, and, you know, and the points along the way where I've seen those fractures and, and the X-Men have sure seen tons of fractures over time. Uh, the second piece that we, we talked about was that X-Men stories – they can be small, personal tales. Like, I was rereading, for whatever reason, Life Death, okay. the, the yeah, f- yeah. Storm Forge. There's two pieces to it. Barry Windsor Smith drew them, which means they're the most gorgeous comics in history. <laughs> you know, Life Death being relatively small, personal tales, or these massive cosmic action and drama affairs like Dark Phoenix Saga. What are some of the plans for Uncanny in terms of, like, the scale of stories? Well, Disassembled is definitely a big big story for them. I mean, again, I would say it does grow out of small things that have happened in the past, but it kicks things off as big as possible. That's why it, it took 10 weekly issues to to tell. That being said, we do have plans for the series going forward, and we do get some of that more emotional moments and more of the the smaller scale stories. And they are, again, they're both part of what makes X-Men X-Men. I mean, they, they are an action team I don't want to say necessarily first and foremost, but at least in a big way. But they're also, as dirty as the word sometimes is, kind of a soap opera. There's a lot of romance going on in the the X-Men over time. There's a lot of betrayal and hurt feelings. And yeah, it's good stuff. Anyone who takes issue with calling it a soap opera, I would have (laughs) issue with that because soap operas are great. Like at its core, you know, drama and action. Just as a concept. As a concept. And whether you like it in comics you like it as an actual soap on television. You like it in wrestling. Like, there's so many ways that this, this soap opera storytelling comes together, and it's it's great. And especially over decades. Yeah. Mm-hmm, you know, you mm-hmm. have to change things up and surprise people and shock people and keep them tuned in. So I'm all about the stunty storytelling soap opera style stuff. Somebody should make an infographic with all the X-Men on it, with all the connections of every kiss that's ever happened. <laughs> There is not a piece of graphic <laughs> material large enough to hold that. We need to get ourselves a nice dot matrix printer yeah. and th- just have it keep going and going and going. That is intense. That would be great. Uh, right after Executioner's Song, mm-hmm. there's the the epilogue issue. Mm. It's just this wonderful, sad story, most of it about Jubilee and Professor X when he was like walking around okay. the, the grounds of the, the Institute and like by the end of it, his legs gave out again it's just this sweet sad story and i love those things like what we get into after the big events so i'm looking forward to what comes next but we've still got to keep talking about the current disassembled stuff yeah um back to the the three things we're talking about the third one that matt and i and jamie talked about is that the x-men has always been a series with something for everyone everyone has their favorite x-men um you know People that you choose, that you you glom onto, whether it's because you read them as a kid or you learn about them later. Who are your favorite X characters? 
I mean, again, it all started for me with with Kurt and Kitty, and I definitely still really love them. I this is a controversial one. This next one, I also really love Beast. Now, I say it's controversial not because people don't necessarily like Beast, but there are some people who hate Beast because he was at the forefront of the "Is Cyclops right?" question. If I remember correctly, he was like the first X Men to like reject him. And Beast has also made a lot of problems. He's, he's, he, he makes mistakes. He brings people forward in time without really thinking of it, about it. He accidentally, you know, causes terrible things to happen. But I like him. I love him. He's, <laughs> he's like, there's so many hearts of the X-Men. He's one that I think about. He's also a heart and a brain of yeah. the X-Men. You know, I think he's so important. You also did a Twitter poll recently about yeah. favorite mutants, right? What kind of responses did you get? I was kind of blown away. Cyclops was the far and away winner. Far and away, more than ten percent of the votes. Went People to just Cyclops. like whole milk and just like sitting <laughs> quietly, just like sitting there I mean, being like, I would "White like bread some milk. sells very well and it's <laughs> bland and tasteless." No, eat some real bread, people. No, no, no. Uh, people, people really love him and they miss him. And you know what? Guess what? Wolverine wasn't even number two. He was number wow. three. Wow. Nightcrawler was number two. He beat Wolverine pretty heartily as well. That's why. Yeah, I, and I think that was one I did not suspect, but I think it's one that sneaks up on you because, yeah, everybody likes Nightcrawler. He's great. I don't think I've ever met anybody who's like, ugh, Nightcrawler, ugh. Now, I was only asking people for their favorite. Like, I only wanted one. I didn't, I wasn't accepting lists of like 10, oh, it's sure. all these guys. It was pretty impressive. It was pretty impressive. He's blue, he's German, he's got a tail. It's super fun. <laughs> yeah. He always, well, I don't want to say literally always manages to have a good time. There's definitely sad Nightcrawler stories too, but... Most of the time, he has a great time. He's got a great attitude. He's very uplifting. He's an uplifting character. Yeah. Okay, can you explain something to me? Sure. As someone who is uh, getting to know Nightcrawler, what is the contention around his beard? Um, okay, so his nickname is Fuzzy Elf. And the reason people call him that is because the blue, although I was going to say the blue isn't his skin. Maybe his skin's blue, but the blue has always been described as blue fur is covering his body. So the contention is, hang on. If he's got fur over all of his body, what is this beard that's growing? But here's the thing about that. First of all, he's been shown to have a beard before. It's not 100% new. Right. Second of all, he also has hair on his head. So I guess uh, when he doesn't have a beard, it means he's shaving? This is fascinating to me. <laughs> this is a pure biological, like anthropological discussion about this character. Two things. One, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. goats can have beards. They yes, also they can. have you know fur and hair and all this stuff. So that's fine. Two, he's a mutant and a comic book character, and we can make him do whatever we want. But like, does that mean that when he doesn't have a beard, he's shaving every day, just keeping fur at a uniform? I like life? to think so. I like he's just <laughs> snipping away like Oh, this looks good today. (laughs) I got to trim this a little bit. My undercoat's coming in, so the beard's extra heavy. Mm. Oh, yeah. I wonder if his his fur thickness changes with the seasons. Great questions that have never been answered. Can we Mm -hmm. make an entire episode Mm -hmm. about this? Mm -hmm. I could. I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. So something I've always known about the X-Men, just in general, is that they've always had a lot of social relevance and cultural relevance, whether it was just about being different or going through puberty or even human and civil rights. What role do you think the X-Men are playing today in 2018? I mean, I think they continue to play all of those roles. Uh, One of the tricky things about them is that they are a great metaphor for all those things and also not 100% 
accurate to any of those things. They work in a general sense, but I think when people start to really latch onto them as, well, mutants are 100% a metaphor for this group, it sort of doesn't work. I mean, again, at the end of the day, it is really a fantasy series about people punching people to solve problems, and that's not a great metaphor for all of our real-life issues. I think the what's useful about the X-Men is that is how flexible that metaphor is, that it is good to say it can represent, you know, racial issues or or other social issues or, or you know. Or just like being a kid who feels out of place. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I think everybody does feel that way. And again, if you can make that connection, if you can make a person who just feels out of place understand and associate with the plight of people who they don't necessarily share that much in common with, that's really important and great. There are so many books in the X-Universe. Recently, we've had some really great stuff. Uh, X-Men Blue, Red, Gold, the X-Men Black line of books, Weapon X, all these all these different things. How do these connect with and feed into Uncanny X-Men? Well, for the most part, they all take place before Uncanny X-Men. And so their endings all kind of set the stage for where we pick up. I think technically X-Men Red last issue doesn't come out before uh, Uncanny Number 1, but spoilers, it takes place <laughs> before it. But yeah, yeah. Uh, those were some great series, and we're really happy with the way they turned out. But they, we knew where we were going with Uncanny when those series were being plotted their endings, and we, we did everything we could to make sure they would tee it up. Cool. Um, one of the things that Matt mentioned to me, uh, we, we talk about the X-Men. They have this nickname as the Children of the Atom, mm -hmm. right? And Matt mentioned this phrase, the grandchildren of the Atom. Yes, what that is, is that true? Mean? Well, we, we talked before about... X-Men being a family, and it could be metaphoric, but you know what? In this case, I think it's a little bit more literal than that. There are some problems that have to do with children's children, and I don't want to say too much, but if you've kept up with all the solicits, you probably know <laughs> a little bit of what I'm talking about here. Uh, but if you haven't, then cool. We yep. won't spoil anything, but yeah, like I like the generational mm -hmm. historic stuff, like those family bits, we keep going yeah. back to it. It's really I mean, important. Yeah, their history stretches back like at least like two weeks, three weeks. So, <laughs> <laughs> You son of a gun. <laughs> All right. We won't spoil about the grandchildren, but I want to get into a little bit of spoiler talk for Uncanny X-Men number one. Sure. Which came out this week. So if you haven't read it yet, pause the pod, read all 900 pages of Uncanny X-Men number one, and it is great. And then come back. All right. So now that we're back, you have read the issue. I want to ask you, Jordan, how much did everyone fight Matt Rosenberg on making Jamie Madrax such a key <laughs> figure in this issue and probably the series? And how did you all lose? I love Jamie Madrox. I was a big fan of X Factor, and I was happy I got to work on that book as well. I mentioned being an assistant editor in the X office. I, there, I, sh I didn't mention that there was a time when I wasn't in the X office in between. I, I moved out of the X office to do Star Wars books. We and call stuff this like the that. dark times in your career. <laughs> <laughs> but I was not in the X office when they heartlessly killed multiple man. And I would not have allowed them to do that. I mean, I would have fought it. I don't know if I would have had the pull, but I certainly wouldn't have wanted them to do that. And in fact, I edited his last appearance before that, which was the end of Peter David's X Factor run. And fans would always say to me, when are we going to see Madrax again? And I was like, what do you hate his happy marriage? Because if we see him again, it's going to not go well. Like he's, he's retired and happy. And well, guess what? It didn't go well. Now, then he died. <laughs> um, I was happy, though, that Matt brought him back for the Multiple Man series, which is nuts and I, so much fun. It's wild. It is. It's, it's bananas. And I'm, I'm, I, I think it turned out great. And 
So I didn't fight against having him be in this book. I love him. And I can overrule the writers. So there we go. No, I'm kidding. I would never (laughs) force them to use Madrox. Or would I? Yeah. Another thing I want to talk about is that Psylocke, she's gone through major changes over time, even recently. But in this issue, I really like that she had a new sword and shield, like these psychic weapons. Whose idea was that? I just found that neat. Gosh, I wish I remembered Damn who I idea that was. Um, I'm pretty sure it came out of our, our summit, and it, it was because she just moved back to her original body. Separated from Quanon. Yes, exactly. So we definitely talked about the idea that we wanted to acknowledge that in a big way. And one of the biggest questions that readers had was, does she still have the abilities to fight and stuff that she had then? And the answer that we had was, yeah, she lived all of those years. Like that was, she remembers all that. So she should be able to remember all of that experience and the body was made through weird nonsense psychic magic not whatever so sure she could still have the sense memory and the muscle memory as well like we just went yeah sure but we do want her to be different than she was all that time so the idea that she would create a different kind of sword and the shield as well is is really cool i'm, I'm so happy that we did that yeah it's a neat look for her yeah and in this issue and again this is a little bit of spoiler stuff in this issue we see the mutant liberation front ish mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which i love wild side my dude uh <laughs> Uh, really great. Uh, Don't they make fun of them? Yeah, yeah. 100%. As well, you should. But I love the MLF. Uh, Sugar Man. Sugar Man does show up. I actually, I actually have a text from last night of Nick Lowe texting me angry that we killed Sugar Man. Uh, yeah, I wasn't going to say it here, but you said it. I was also a little bit boned, but... Look, there's another line in the book where, like, a lot of people have figured out, like, coming back from death at one point or another. Something like that. Sure, sure. Sugar Man, next in line. Of of course. Uh, (laughs) The fans will demand it. Uh, Anyway. uh, I believe in Sugar Man. Exactly. Uh, We had Apocalypse, Dark Mm -hmm. Beast. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a very 90s group of villains. But what other villains will we see in this title? Well, like I said, a lot of the things that uh, the X-Men face in this are things and foes who haven't always been foes to them. Well, you know what? I can tease. I, we already have announced very much that there will be a group called the the Four Horsemen of Salvation, which are the Horsemen of Peace, the Horsemen of Life, the Horsemen of Abundance, and the Horsemen of Wellness to be the opposite of the Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And should I say who they are? Yeah, because I just, was just looking at a cover. Yeah, we have it public. on the cover and the yeah. ads and everything. So the Horsemen of Life is Angel. The Horsemen of Peace is Magneto. The Horsemen of Bounty is Blob, and the Horseman of Wellness is Omega Red. Yeah. So I have a I have a real affinity for the more obscure, weird X Men. Sure. Ones with perhaps useless abilities or no abilities. <laughs> like in Uncanny, we see Glob. Glob is wonderful. Fascinating uh, looking. Glob is Ed Brisson's. I don't know. I f- he's his favorite character, but he's he's, he's one of there. his favorites. He's, I mean, I've talked that about this. He, he he loves putting him in books, and I'm thrilled that he does because I think he's great. We we did a a story arc in Old Man Logan called Glob Loves Man Kills. That was which such is the a best. sad story, too, yep. man. Oh, no. You guys are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a big deal in Disassembled, and you know what? He's a big deal uh, in another story going forward that I was just reading a script for earlier today that Ed is writing, which has not been announced yet. So Glob fans are going to have lots, lots to uh, to love. He's a pink, goopy looking guy, although it's it's made out of wax. It's, That's wax? I think it's paraffin wax. Is that what they say? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's definitely wax of some sort. I forget the exact type. It might be paraffin wax. Oh, and, you can't uh, take him anywhere. He'll which melt. Is, <laughs> Well, it, he he manages to stay together, but 
that's why also he's been he sometimes he gets set on fire. Uh, has I'm happened. so concerned right now. <laughs> Don't get him near Pyro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, he's okay. Whenever he gets set on fire, it's not like it's a terrible thing. I think he's done it to 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 be more useful in a fight at once or twice as well. I like it. Yeah. So another great. another character that I have latched onto who made his debut in an uncanny title is Maggot. Yes. Okay. So you were mentioning Twitter earlier. So I, one of the other things I did on, I've done on Twitter and I'm hoping to do again at some point was I went on relatively early in rejoining the X office and I said, Hey, X-Men fans, I will write a song about the X-Men of your choice. Who who do you guys uh, want me to write a song about? Now, again, this was before the popularity vote, but even so I'm sitting there thinking they're going to pick Cyclops. They're going to pick Emma Frost. They're going to pick Wolverine. No, they voted for Maggot. Uh, so, congratulations, Twitter. You did it right. <laughs> so you did I, it right. I wrote and recorded a song about Maggot. South, South Africa's Africa. favorite mutant. Yeah. yeah, It's a sad song. He, he's a sad character now. He's not dead anymore, so that's good. Yeah, he's back. Congrats to him. <laughs> good for him. <laughs> what, are the, what are their names? What are the things? Eeny uh, uh, and Meeny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although he only has, well, I think he has two again now, but one of them was dead at one point. <laughs> I don't understand how they work as so, his digestive system. Yeah, he's but... got these two bugs that live in his gut, and he can't eat food the normal way at all. Right. And so these bugs come out of him, and they digest things. For him? For him. Well, at, at, they are him, really. But okay. yes, and then they go back inside of him, and that powers him up. So, so if he... He could be like useful in a fight and powerful. And uh, can he blast things or can he just be strong? I don't remember I if remember. he blasts things, but like you've seen him skinny and then you've seen him like yeah. grow really big. It's because, yeah. because yeah, they have digested enough that he is yeah. powerful. And I think that's also what turns him blue as well because he's sometimes blue and sometimes not. Great. <laughs> Love yeah. it. We talked about Glob and Maggot. Do you have a favorite weird X-Man? Uh, well, I mean, I guess it depends on how weird you're talking. Again, I do really like Glob. Uh, I... Like, if I was going to build another X-Men team, like X-Men Chartreuse or X-Men Puce, I want it to just the weirdest, most useless mutants on it. I mean, I, I liked Beak back in the day, although he's been through a lot of weird changes, too. <laughs> yeah. Remember when he was a buff, good-looking dude for a while there? That that was not doesn't what make, we wanted. That yeah, seems no. wrong. <laughs> That's not right. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last things. If someone has never read an X-Men book, why should they check out Uncanny X-Men? And if someone has read... All 600 plus issues of Uncanny X-Men. What's in store for them? Uh, for anybody who ha- does not know the X-Men at all, like it's a number one. Uh, hopefully you can jump in. Well, first of all, you've listened to this this interview if you're hearing this. So we've just told you everything you need to know pretty much. People don't like them uh, because they're different from them. Uh, so, so, yeah, I think this is like we talked about, a good story about the X-Men dealing with that situation that they find themselves in, that the people of the world do not want to give them a chance, even though they are heroic and trying to do their best for people at all times. And I think that uh, it's going to be an exciting ride. For people who love the X-Men and they know all this stuff, there's a lot of callbacks going on in here. We're bringing back some ideas, some things that have been around not very recently, so some stuff that has been lying dormant for a little while, and we bring it back in a big way. So I think people who are X-Men fans and non-X-Men fans will both have a great time. Awesome. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. I'm happy to be here. Big thanks to Jordan D. White for joining us again on the show. Uh, You can see his work across comic books, which he edits. Yeah. So many of them, including Uncanny X-Men, which is 
what we're going to be talking about, and so much more in our big interview coming up. I sat down with Matt Rosenberg, Kelly Thompson, and Ed Brisson, the three writers of Uncanny X-Men, which launched this week, and it is going weekly for our next like two months and change. So it's going to be wild ride. But enough of that. You guys got to check out this interview with our Uncanny X-Men writers right now. How y'all doing? Yeah, good. Yeah, great. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. Excellent. We're great. I have really enjoyed the pause where you're all way too polite and love each other so much that you didn't want to talk over each other. This is tremendous. That's a lie. I think we all wanted to go last. <laughs> <laughs> See how it worked out for everyone else first. <laughs> this isn't so much a spoilery show as more of like, hey, you guys are writing the flagship X-Men book. And I want to talk about that and celebrate that and um, dig into a little bit about just your X-Men fandoms. So first things, what was the first X-Men book you ever read? Ed, let's start with you. Uh, it was one of the issues of the Dark Phoenix saga, but I don't remember which. Uh, I bought them when I was on vacation when I was about eight years old, uh, traveling across Canada. And uh, so that was really early 80s, I think. Mid '80s, long time ago. You just like at a like a rest stop. It was just it, it was at like a yeah. It was just at like a convenience store when you could still buy them in convenience stores. I just picked it up off the rack. It was my parents would pick them up because we we were on a trip where we drove from one end of Canada to the other, and they just wanted me to shut <laughs> up. And so they would just buy me comics to read in the back of the car. Good parenting skills. I'm hoping yes. you learned. Matt. My first X-Men comic? Yes, please. It was Extermination Number 1 by Ed Brisson. Oh, I that's, really a, liked that's it. a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a couple a couple weeks ago I read it. Are um, you excited to, to dive now into the X-Men universe, yeah. having just started reading? Yeah, there's a lot of them, it turns out. I, I mean, <laughs> No, uh, I, you know, I had to make the joke because my first answer is also Dark Phoenix Saga. My brother, my older brother, had them, and he would go out in the day because he was cool, and I was a little kid who didn't go outside. And uh, I stole his copies and read it all. And was like, this doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it. I love it so much. <laughs> and now I've revisited it as an adult and been like, it doesn't make any sense. I love it so much. <laughs> it makes sense, sort of. <laughs> I love it. It's my favorite. Kelly, what about you? Uh, Uncanny X-Men 290, which was also Storm on the cover, Crying in the Rain. I'm pretty mm. sure it's 290. Mm. It was my first comic I ever read. Yeah. Yes. The beautiful, oh yeah, and yes. she's like looking up. and It was the first comic I ever read other than Archie Digest, which I had used to beg from my mom for the, from the store checkout aisle. No, that was my first comic I ever read, and it was just over for me the instant I read it. And my second comic immediately following that was X-Force number three. And it was because those were the comics my brothers brought home from the mall. And then that should, was it. You should give a shout out to that mall. Um Cottonwood Mall. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna Salt get Lake City, Utah. Uh, long out of business. I'm sorry to oh. say. Oh, poor Cottonwood Mall. That's too bad. Yeah. Okay, I love all that stuff. Uh, what? <laughs> what is uh, riveting? One of the things that I, I wanted to do is really tie into what are your favorites about different X Men things. So going through some of that stuff, I know it, it's sort of like standards, but helps inform like where you guys approach some of these characters and stories and all that stuff. So favorite X Men team member, Kelly. Let's start with you. How dare you do this to me? I mean, I have to say Rogue, and that is going to come back and bite me so badly because I'm writing Gambit and Rogue. It's got to be Rogue. I, I love Gambit as well, but I, I think Rogue I connected to. Matt, I can see you making face out of the corner of my eye. 
Rogue I really connected to as a kid in so many ways. And she was also, before that Uncanny X-Men issue came into the house, the reason it came into the house was because my brother and I saw the X-Men animated series. So many people of a certain age came to it that way. And literally we turned on the TV and she was in the mall punching that Sentinel. And I mean, it was just over for me. I was in love. That was Cottonwood Mall, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) It was. (laughs) Yeah. Matt, uh, my favorite X-Men. Uh, okay, so this is my sad combat. I'm going to pick two, which is cheating. But wow. then, no, no way. Already, I had to pick. I, I had to pick. It's, it's a toss-up between Magic and Havoc, but I'll give this confessional thing that I've come to realize, which is very sad and pathetic, so it, it evens out that I cheated. When writing the X-Men, I spent a long time like trying to figure out why I like Magic and Havoc so much. And I realized growing up, like, I'm a little brother, and my older brother, he's like, my older brother's great, he's very cool, he's very smart, he was great in school, and everyone loved him, and I was like, just the worst little bratty kid. It's and, so subtle, <laughs> I don't know yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah, no, there's a twist coming up, <laughs> and it turns out, now that I'm an adult and I've reevaluated, that Magic and Havoc are both the much cooler, much more powerful, but much less respected younger siblings of very well-known X-Men. And, uh, you know, 11-year-old me really latched onto that. And uh, me in my 30s finds it very pathetic. But that's where we are now. So, yeah, they're my favorites. And I love them. And they're great. And they're the best X-Men. Wow. Ed? Uh, It seems like such an obvious answer, but mine is Wolverine. He's the coolest character. But also for me, growing up, like I'm Canadian and um, most of the media we consume in Canada is American media. And so when there was this character in the X-Men who's like not only Canadian, but also just like cool as hell, it was like a double whammy for me. And so so Wolverine, is, you know, ever since early 80s, he's been, he's been my guy. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. He's I, pretty like good. Him. I haven't even he's heard dead. of him. Is yeah. he around? Is he the best he is at what he does? Is that a thing? Are you, do you mean North Star? North No, that <laughs> Are you talking about North Star? I might be talking about North Star. <laughs> yeah. North Star. All right. What about uh favorite X-Men villain? Matt, you go first. Yeah. There you go. Oh, wow. I mean, Magneto. He's the quintessential X-Men foil to me. It's like he is the other side of the coin. And sometimes those sides are not so differentiated. I love the points where you read X-Men comics and Magneto is not this hand-wringing, world-ending guy. You have to be like, he's making some pretty compelling points. And I I love that. I think it keeps the X-Men on their toes and challenges them. And like, he's a very sympathetic character. He's got this tragic life. He has all the makings of being a great leader of the X-Men, which he has been. But he's also, I think, their best villain. So... Now I'm mad Matt went first because he took my answer. <laughs> you made fun of him and then there yeah, you get. Yeah. Karma is a real problem. I would also say Magneto. I would say Emma Frost, but I don't really see her as a villain. I see her more as an antihero. But since Matt already talked very eloquently about Magneto. Thank you. My sort of dark horse favorite villain is Callisto. Just because I think the Morlocks have like the best freaking point ever. And I think we don't see more stories with them because it's really uncomfortable for the X-Men. Like, it really shines a light on sort of the hypocrisy. And I say that in love. I love the X-Men. They're sort of my first and last loves. But they don't deal with that problem well at all. 
And there are a couple really cool stories, including the Storm and Callisto story that come out of that, that spin out of that. Yeah, the, the whole Morlock thing, it's always felt like that. But I think that's what the tension is, and it always yeah. makes for great stories. I fought very hard to get Callisto in Uncanny. These guys can vouch for me. Didn't work out. Or did it? It didn't. <laughs> it did not. It did Do not. not get your hopes up, you one Callisto fan out there. <laughs> Ed, what about you? Um, I think, unfortunately, like just copying Matt's answer is Magneto, who actually, until I was 20, thought his name was Magneto. When that Canadian, cart- it's okay. Yeah, but the cartoon came out, and they said Magneto, and I was like, how did they screw this up? And then, like, <laughs> somebody told me I I'd just been wrong for the previous twenty years. I want you to say the names of all of the X Men right now. <laughs> the other, well, the other confession we talked about this before. I thought Rogue was Rouge for a long time. That's the influence of growing up in a house with a French father. I think, but um, uh, Chambert. <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> uh, I think Magneto is just because he has such a rich and, and tragic past that, like, uh, it's like Matt said, he's not just this mustache twirling villain. He has he's he's really sympathetic. He's he's got the most compelling backstory to me of all of them. I wanted to say Strife, but he's like almost no backstory. Well, that, but that, looks <laughs> cool as hell. I was going to say that's the correct answer. Yeah, Strife. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I love so the no look po- of Strife. Yeah. No points awarded this round. Yeah, yeah correct. <sighs> I have a real problem with villains, both as a reader and a TV viewer, and as a writer, and it's something I struggle with because. When you cut away to the villain, I'm instantly bored. I think a great example of that for me growing up was Buffy. I would be so uninterested in the villains all of a sudden, and I'm sort of checking out of the narrative. And to me, that's one of the reasons Magneto and characters like Magneto, they don't ever just feel like the villain. They feel like one of the characters. And you're invested in that story, good or bad. And I, I think he's one that really transcends it. And I'm always looking for ways to do that with my villains and not always successful, so... You're talking about Magneto and talking about the Morlocks and some of those things really, to me, hits at sort of the core of, of the X-Men universe. But I wanted to ask each of you, what makes the X-Men so special to you in particular? It's, a, it's the X gene. <laughs> Wait, I'm you sorry. are a monster. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's you been three have days in a, of do punchiness. You, do you yeah. see what we've been putting up with? Yeah, they don't like me. Um, <laughs> nobody in this room likes me. Uh <laughs> What makes the X-Men special? That was the question. To you, in particular. Okay. You know, I I feel like the X-Men occupy a space that, like, no other superhero team occupies. There's nothing else at any other publisher. And part of it is the outcast. But part of it is the the blend of, like, heroics and peril. Like, they're in danger. They're saving people. It's the hated and feared. It's all that. But it's all of that is a set dressing for a very intricate, elaborate soap opera. And that's sort of what makes them stand out is that, like, at the end of the day, a lot of the best X-Men stories are a framework to tell interpersonal soap opera stories. (laughs) I also like that they're outcasts. I mean, I think all the stuff Matt said is true. I mean, I think for me, it drills down a little bit more to misfit families. I'm very into that. People who don't have a home and who band together and become a family together. But I think that ties directly into the soap opera stuff, like who becomes brother and sister and who becomes romantically involved. Like all of that is so fascinating and sort of beautiful. Um, And the reason they're still feared and hated, even though they're beautiful, is because they're different from humans. Uh, What Kelly said. Uh, No. uh, Ed is very wise. Everything they said is true. And for for me, like when I was younger, I was always an X-Men kid versus an Avengers kid. And it always felt like the Avengers were more about the heroics and the X-Men were like, 
I just like to have really messed up people that were like weirdly trying to fix themselves by helping other people, but also just screwing that up too, just yeah. as often as they were doing it properly. And there's, it sounds really weird, but like I like uh, character failure. Like when they, when yeah. they, you can actually fail and get up. And, and I don't mean fail in a way that they get punched in a fight and they, you know, a strife punches Wolverine at. That would never happen. But, you know, let's just say that happened. Um, and then Wolverine gets up and dusts dust himself off. I mean, like, they have, like, like real massive personal failings. Yeah. In some ways, they're the most marvel-y of, our, of Marvel characters. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, yeah. they're Spider-Man as, as, a, as a family. Yes. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Are you a writer? Not really. <laughs> I'm going to read some of your books. Thinking about that, have your opinions changed as you've become writers of these characters? Do you see the way what makes them special and what they mean to you? Has that changed or has it galvanized or has it sort of remained the same now that you've become the people who are shepherding these stories? Uh, for me, it's mostly stayed the same. But the one thing I've noticed, like from social media especially, is that even like the weirdest, um, like, no name X Men who appeared in two issues is somebody's favorite. Yeah. So like when we did Uncanny, when the announcement went out, literally my my timeline, I swear to God, for about three weeks was like, why isn't blank in this? Mine's yeah. still going. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what you did, but please tell me. You know, I bumped into that really hard when I was doing Rogan Gambit because there's a lot of old Rogan Gambit stuff that I will not call out specifically that I really hate. And there was this moment where I was like, yeah, I could really rip this, some of this, I could elevate this old stuff and make it amazing. And I could like really show that I hate this other stuff. What, and what I was stuff like, are you talking about specifically? Mm-hmm. Nice try, Matthew. <laughs> but I realized as I was working on it that just because I hate it, it's someone else's Citizen Kane, perhaps. So me tearing it down doesn't to steal from something CB was saying, it doesn't build anything, right? It just breaks things. Um, yes, I agree with my co-writers. Yeah, I, I think it's really, I think it's really wonderful. Like what Ed said, Ed, it's funny for Ed to say that because he likes Wolverine, who's like one of the most popular. I like my, my runner-up <laughs> is Glob. So yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I, you know, I, I, I always had this thing where people would be like, who's your favorite superhero? And I'd be like, Havoc or Magic. And they'd be like, what are you talking about? And then in X-Men... You know, someone will be like, "Oh, it's it's Wither," and you're like, "Okay, yeah, I get that. Like, I I understand why Wither is, and I understand why Wind Dancer or Elixir or Maggot. I will get a hundred tweets for saying Maggot. Maggot comes up a lot. Um, you know, we also want Glob to have great scenes, and we want these X Men to be able to sing, and and that to me is galvanized. Like, it is a family, and it is. Yeah, it's totally cemented my belief in, in why I think the X-Men matter so much. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to another favorite. Uh, favorite supporting character. Ed, you're looking, you keep looking at me. And you're shaking your head. You don't want to go first. <laughs> you don't want to, I'm stumped um, right now. Um, do you have a good answer? You know, uh, the, the one that strikes me first, I think, is probably going to be most people's answers is Moira. Moira is such an interesting, fascinating, fun character. But when I was a kid, it was definitely Gateway. <laughs> I thought Gateway was amazing. The coolest. He's the coolest, and he's like even in the X Men world, Gateway is like an enigma. He's this strange entity that they don't quite understand, and and I really love that. That I was like, oh, there's a world that even to the X Men is is like they're outsiders too, but Gateway doesn't get used as much and doesn't get as much screen time. So like, 
I'd probably say Moira is my favorite. I think Moira is a good answer. I think Gateway is a good answer, too. I would love to do a weird one-off story with Rogue going back and finally, like, honoring her promise to Gateway. Because when she gets out in Uncanny X-Men 269, she uses his power. She takes it. And then she sort of bonds with him mentally, of course. And she's like, I understand. And it's a debt. And I'll be back. And I'm pretty sure she's never really... I mean, she's interacted with him again. But they, I don't think she's ever... We've never seen that weird Rogue and Gateway story. Where's that story? That's awesome. That's a great answer. Yeah. I got nothing. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> you know, when you talk about Gateway, I'm, I'm trying to think about... Is, yeah, it feels is, like a cheat. I think you cheated in that. Because he has powers? Right. I mean, I no, get no. It. I wasn't going to yeah. say... I was thinking, is, is Gateway alive? Is he dead? And that, that leads me to, if you could have any X character back dead or even from an alternate universe, who would you want in the pages of Uncanny X-Men? I don't even think I don't even think we need to raise the dead. I just want Emma back. There's a there's a character from from old old X Men comics who I really liked, who hasn't been around in a while, and I thought was always a great character, and I'd always like to see more stories with. And his name is uh, Cyclops, and I how do you spell that? I'm not sure, and but I thought he was cool, and we don't learn anything about him, and I don't know I don't know where he is, but that would be He's my choice. Oh, is that right? Dead. Never mind. Well, then that answer, you know. I'd I'd like to see him come back, but he's dead, and that's sad. Yeah, yeah I don't. I, I Good have, answer. Thank you. Can't think of anyone I want. I want to come back. I, I kind of like. Uh, kind of like where we're at. The playing field is, is yeah is good. Who do you want? Who do you want to get rid of, Ed? Oh, oh, all of them. All of them. Yeah. Okay, so this one maybe maybe a toughie. We don't. We won't have to dive into it if you can't come up with something. But what do you think is the most obscure X Men fact? I have a I have a weird one, which is that Gambit sees Rogan a photo for the first time way before they meet in it might be 266 like his debut I don't he's with young orphan storm like and she's got a group photo with her of the x-men and there's no mention of it like oh hey she's hot maybe I'm gonna date her later and there's no there's no call to it or anything but I just think it's a funny thing for that to become sort of the defining relationship of his life and here we saw him seeing her in this photo. Um, hmm, that's a toughie. The one that always strikes me as like as important and people don't realize, but that dupe speaks a real language that you can translate. That I know, like, I, yeah. I had to write his dialogue. I know that it, they have an we, actual. We had a conversation it. about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I discovered that when I almost wrote Cable. Uh, yeah. yeah, and sometimes it's great because no one spell checks it. Like, proofreaders don't proofread against it at Marvel. So if you do translate it, sometimes <laughs> there's just, like, typos in what he says, and it's great. And I really like that. So, like, if you sit down and translate, like, <laughs> X-Force stuff, you're just like, did he mean to say that? Like, that's gibberish. But, like, dupe speak is a real language that we can translate that has a direct corollary to our alphabet. Years ago, I pitched doing a dupe translator, so sort of like Google Translate, where you would you could like take a picture or whatever, and and it would translate it. That's awesome. Uh, I got like I know way too much about early strife. Hit it. <laughs> no, just like he's like Apocalypse kidnapped who he thought was Baby Cable, but was actually Baby Strife that was a clone made of Cable to sort of cure his techno organic virus, and then Apocalypse raised Strife to be his future host. And it still weirds me out that, like, 
Apocalypse got Freaky Friday. Like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like it's such a weird <laughs> yeah, yeah. thing that, and he, he just get, grabbed the wrong dude. He, yeah. he grabbed the wrong, and he, and, but like till he, you know, he doesn't know until he's a teenager. The, the, ca- a, the cable stuff is always funny because in, in like Multiple Man, there's a Jamie Madrox who's like kind of cable, except instead of being techno organic virus, he's kind of half warlock. And I think they didn't think I was going to explain it. And I explained it in the book and I said, you know, he's he goes to the to the young cable timeline with Slim and Red and Cable bites him. He tries to kidnap Cable and Cable <laughs> bites him. And they were like, no, Cable is the techno organic virus and you have you have him infected with Warlock. That won't work. And I was like, they're actually related. Like their race is related to the techno organic virus. It's an offshoot. And like it was of course a bunch of phone calls and Googling and then we were like, no, he's right. All right. Favorite crossover event barring anything that you've worked on. There is a correct answer, but I'll I'll give you that one at the end. Who wants to go first? So I'm going to go with Extinction Agenda. It was the second one I ever read because I was like working backwards after I discovered comics. I think Executioner's Song was the first one I read and I loved it. I think Extinction Agenda just has so much of that weird stuff about X-Men that I love. I love taking powers away and giving them back. I love the politics of the Genosha stuff. I think Hodge and all of that stuff is a good villains. I think it reeled in. When I was a kid, the crossover did exactly what it was supposed to do. I wasn't reading X-Force. I wasn't reading X-Factor. And then they all came together and I was like, wait, there are all these other cool characters in these other books that I should read? I mean, it, like just like a fish on a hook for me, like yeah. completely worked the way marketing intends, you know? But it was also this great story that I just engaged with so much. It's got probably the best Gambit moment we've ever had when he takes that spike out of his leg with his teeth. Shut up, Matt. And, you know, it also falls in that really weird space of some of my favorite X-Men stories. They go do this big Shi'ar story after that or, yeah, just after that. And, you know, it's just there's the stuff with the Shadow King. It's just a really cool time right in there. And I, I just have a lot of affection for it. I'm wondering what the second coolest Gambit moment is. Um, I the, hate you. <laughs> Still uh, waiting on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Wait, look, you're, Ed, unfortunately. from Matt, I expect <laughs> such behavior. I mean, Ryan's on my team, too. Yeah, I, I'm. you know, oh. as we, I, we've talked about, you've helped me see a, a lighter side of Gambit, but I've still, like, he still skeeps me. I'm surrounded uh, by enemies. His, his, Someone sent help. I think his help. second best moment is probably uh, Wolverine uh, Origins. Bang. I thought that was pretty cool. Just, how, about, right. um, how about Bang the, Your the, Dead the, the, Wolverine? How about that? The Jerks. My, I don't know if it counts as a crossover. Maybe it does. I don't know. But, I, you know, Mutant Massacre to me was like. That's a good one. Yeah, I just couldn't believe Mutant Massacre when I was a kid. And I read it now, and you're still like a jaw-dropping thing where you're just like, oh, they're just they're just dropping. Like, they're just dropping like flies. And, and watching them get hurt, it's not just like they kill a bunch of them. Watching them get hurt and, like, lose their powers and be tortured and stuff, it's terrifying. It's great. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think, like, the big one for me was the Dark Phoenix saga when I was a kid, and that was one. And it was, uh, was it Fall of the Mutants? Where they all die on the beach in Australia. It's Fall of the Mutants. Mutants. Yeah, the Fall of the Mutants was the one that was like the the first one. I think the first big thing that I read after I was already an X-Men reader. It was the first time where it seemed that there were real stakes. 
I, I will say that the correct answer is executioner song, but that's but, not but this is because this is strife centric. Can you event, say why? Because it's it's just my favorite, and I I love I love it. You're gonna have to do better than that. Sure. We did. Uh, I didn't. For me, a lot of it is <laughs> is the look of those books, especially mm. Jay Lee, Greg Capullo, Brandon Peterson. We've got uh, Andy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. and like just the visual identity from book to book, and the moments you get out of those books. And then, like, those moments were yeah. burned I, in my head. I, I, what's funny is that, like, we talk about the classic ones, and I, I love them, but I very much considered saying Messiah Complex, Messiah War, Second Coming. Those are jaw-dropping. They well stand up together. so well. Yeah. They really do. I mean, I'm a little surprised none of us said Age of Apocalypse, but I probably would have said that, except for I recently reread the whole thing for work, and I think it forced me to look at it through a sort of different prism. No shade on it. It's changed my life as a teenager i blew my mind and it really made me rethink what you could do with comics the fact that we just all went into an alternate reality was incredible and sort of paved the way for some of the crazy things that are done today but i do think that rereading it as a writer trying to look at it more critically it it killed a little bit of my nostalgic love for it uh, which was a shame yeah. But anyway, it was all to piggyback on. I recently reread Messiah Complex and all that as well. It's and so I good. was shocked how tight it was. Yeah, it's so tight. It's unreal. Yeah. Like how well orchestrated it is, how like how well it all crosses over and like how clearly the stakes are laid out and mm-hmm. how it just builds and builds and then, you know, the cable series that came out of that where he's time traveling. So good. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. Such an underrated book. Yeah. 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 All right. Favorite creators on X titles. Um, that's tough. Uh, Ed Brisson, Kelly Thompson. Love it. Um, Good. Good. Uh, Keep going. Uh, Solid list. That, that's all I got. I've never <laughs> read anyone else. For me, it, you know, it's uh, Claremont, Byrne, Grant Morrison, Frank Quitely. Uh, I would also go Grant Morrison, New X-Men, Joss Whedon, Astonishing yep. X-Men, which basically brought me back to superhero comics single-handedly after a long time away. And John Cassidy's work on that is, mm-hmm. to me, other than Planetary, maybe the best work he's ever done. Chris Bacalo for me, is a huge, constant fave. Jim Lee mm-hmm. uh, defined my entry-level stuff. I mean, it's just indelible on my brain, you know? Um, oh, I should have said Peter David. Peter David. Peter David, for you sure. have to say, those therapy issues oh, he did with unreal. X Factor. I think that was the first time I remember... And I wanted to be a writer since I was a little kid, so it's weird that I was... I've always said I'm a little slow learner, but Peter David writing those therapy issues was the first time I suddenly became aware of the writer, which sounds like a bad thing, but I mean because I was like, holy crap, what is he doing? I never thought of the character this way before. It was really like a paradigm shift for me uh, reading those X-Factor issues. Yeah, Claremont and Jim Lee was like a big one for me. The Grant Morrison stuff on New X-Men, Josh Whedon, like... This is all said already. I reread the the Grant Morrison New X Men three times in the last year or something like that. I just really <laughs> enjoy it. Um, That's all Ed does. Yeah, so, yeah. but uh, um, I think Rick Remender's Uncanny X Force is oh, is an incredible, a, an yeah. incredible run. run. And the art on that is like you got Sad Ribic and you have um, Phil Noto and, and uh, Acuna is the owner? Daniel Acuna. Daniel yeah. Acuna yeah. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't understand it as a kid, but Sienkiewicz's work on New Mutants as an adult, I realized totally. how much it influenced me as totally. a child without me understanding uh-huh. it. It's a subconscious like 
gets in your DNA, but like. Did you get the artist edition of that? It's beautiful. Did not. No, I did not. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Thanks for bringing that up. The, I would say in that same vein, Stroman for me. As oh, a kid, God, yeah. as Larry a Stroman. kid, I didn't respond to that. I'm like, where's the Jim Lee? But when I go back, I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. I love brilliant. it. Yeah, I love it. Brilliant. So we're going to wrap up soon, but we should probably talk about Uncanny X-Men, which I, y'all are doing. What What is the top line of what Uncanny X-Men is about? Oof. Uh, un- <laughs> Well, we don't killing them all. That's it's a it's it's the story of Dupe (laughs) and his understanding of of his. No, Uncanny X Men is. um, We don't want to spoil stuff, but there are certain things. If you look at previews or you've seen covers, I feel like we can say that it's it's a lot of the X Men's problems and the world's problems have come from the X Men and they've come home to roost. Um, Ed's making jokes about death, but I actually think the death count has been highly overhyped. Oh, yeah, people absolutely. are going to be surprised. I think that's just what people thought we were doing coming out. Like, yeah. we, we got a lot of people, like, as many people were just saying, where is so-and-so? There was as many people saying, please don't kill so-and-so. so-and-so. Uh, which Matt didn't help by just I, every time responding, yeah. going, nope, dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I t- if you ask me where an X-Man is in the book, I tell you they're dead. Uh, um, but, that's just a blanket rule. But I think and the cool thing about Thunderbird. This, this series is that like, you know, we have your standard X-Men, but I think we're also like elevating some X-Men who don't get as much spotlight in this as well, which I think hopefully people will react to. Like a, like a glob. Herman, maybe? I, I'm not saying a Glob Herman, but maybe well, like I mean, a talk, Glob we've Herman. We've talked about that in interviews. Like, you yeah. know, a lot of the new X-Men, the younger kids who aren't Laura, have gotten lost in the shuffle over the years. There's so many X-Men. Like, yeah. I don't think anyone's trying to put anyone on the bench. It's just what happens when you have that many incredible characters and that many incredible stories. But one of my favorite threads in this story is the story of these young X-Men, specifically Armor, Pixie, Rockslide, and Glob have big roles. Mm-hmm. And it's not just they have big roles punching things. It's like they have questions and they have complaints and they have an evolution of where they're headed. And it also creates a lot of good opportunities for Ed and I to try to push each other out of the way to write Armor. So that's always fun. Yeah, I also think like there is a component when people see it about sort of a generational idea in what the x-men are and like i know early on ed and kelly were very excited about the kids and i I love the kids too but it took me sort of a long time to realize that like oh the kids story is sort of mirrored in a bigger story in a different way that like it fits into this sort of generational idea of x-men that we're kind of examining and and the kids are are the last generation of x-men so following them a bunch has been really rewarding in a way that kind of caught me off guard, but I, I do love it very much. That's uh, thanks to Kelly my good writing. I said that. I, yeah. I think I, well, I, said I, that. I just wanted to reiterate. Yeah, no, you're right. The real anchors of the team here. Yeah. So, I put multiple man in it and everybody hates him. Matt is just drafting off of us. So yeah. before we wrap up, uh, obviously y'all three and, and just coming up with an amazing story, but the collaborators on this book are some of the best artists that Marvel has. Who do we have on this? So Mahmoud Azrar is doing the bulk of the first issue, 30 pages. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. But Pere Perez, who I worked with on Gambit and Rogue, he's one of our artists. I'm going to butcher R.B. Silva. R.B. Silva. Silva. Yeah. Oh, doing some of the best work it's of his in, career. It's mind-blowing. He, yeah. he did his, a, a multiple man page that when it came in, it was just, yeah. Yeah. it hurt my brain. It was so good. Yeah. I had to go for a walk. Yildre Sinar, also doing amazing work. Yeah. I'm sorry we butchered your name. 
Did we say Rachel? I'm sorry. Oh, Rochelle uh, Rosenberg. Rochelle, Rochelle Rosenberg, Rosenberg coloring yeah. the whole thing. The whole so. thing. Fantastic. Uh, excited for Uncanny X-Men. Ten issues. Lots of X-Men stuff. Lots of fun. And you guys are terrific together. You should do more comics together. I don't know about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when uh, when I got the call, my first question was who was going to be doing it. And they were like, oh, it's Matt and Ed. And I was like, oh, my best friends. And then they were like, maybe you shouldn't work with your best friends. And now I'm like, yeah, you were right. Yeah. This is the end of three long friendships. Yeah, it's over. It's all over. No, it's but good. It's, These but guys you know, are great. But you know what? It made for a good book. You'll see all the pain and suffering that we <laughs> cause each other on those pages, and you'll enjoy it. You'll eat it up. Okay, big thanks to our Uncanny X-Men writers. And again, check out Uncanny X-Men number one, which is available now. New issues coming weekly for a while, and it is terrific. Uh, it's time for our community section. So I mentioned a little bit earlier, we have a question of the week, something I was thinking of. Which Marvel family would you like to have Thanksgiving dinner with? And so we'll talk about that next week. And I know so many of you are not from these United States. That's okay. Just Picture having a big, boisterous, wonderful family dinner. Which family would you like to have it with? That's the way you think about it. So you can tweet your answers using hashtag ThisWeekInMarvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. Obviously, many of you wrote in to us just talking about Stan. So mm-hmm. why don't we dive into some of the wonderful sentiments about Mr. Stanley? Yeah, we'll start with Simon Williams. It goes without saying that Marvel as we know it wouldn't exist without Stanley. The work he did with Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko and company changed comics and American pop culture for generations. On behalf of all true believers, rest in peace. Thank you, Stan. And he also says, I'd like to think he and the rest of the original Marvel bullpen are together again making comics. I think we'd all like to think that. What are they cooking up? Yeah. Oh, man. We had like a a little gathering that evening. Yeah. And I was talking with Jen Grunwald, who's been here a couple years longer than I have. And she and I worked with Flo Steinberg and mm. Fabulous Flo. And I like all of this just made me miss Flo so much. I was a mess when uh, Flo passed. Like that was during San Diego Comic-Con. I was bawling. I tough. can't even imagine. OGs. They're the OGs. OGs indeed. At my Radcast says, I feel just devastated to hear about the passing of Stan Lee. Contrary to his catchphrase, there was never enough that he had said, nor that can be said of him. That's really sweet, Jim. Uh, Timothy P. Walsh says, that feeling when you open your Marvel Unlimited renewal on the day that Stan Lee dies and see your name published on the back cover of Black Panther, all the feels. Oh, I understand, Timothy. Lots of feels. Captain Rogers, 44, uh, our longstanding listener, good buddy, says, last year it was my honor to meet Stan Lee, a man who created and helped create many of the most famous and beloved characters in comic books. Today he passed away at 95 you will be missed, sir. You are one of the greatest storytellers to ever grace this world. Well said, Robert. Uh, we got an email in here from Mr. Jason Kim, who I love hearing from. Aloha, Jason. He says, I thank God I was able to meet Stanley a couple of years ago in Hawaii. He was very nice, still mentally sharp, and most importantly, full of life. To Stan the manly, aloha and excelsior. Aww. That little catch in the throat. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Uh, it's there. Yeah. I posted a ton of photos 
this week, the first time I met Stan, various convention times. I was going through looking for photos and I found one, just a photo of Lorraine and Stan hugging, which I sent to her. I got a ton of responses on Twitter, which uh, I can't really read. But uh, thanks for all the the sentiments, the kind words, uh, just the amazing outpouring from the entire Marvel Universe. I read so many amazing fan encounter stories. It seems like in addition to having one of the most wicked senses of humor, Stan was just so willing to talk to anybody who loved his stuff. And there was one story that I I wish I could remember who tweeted it, but her 10-year-old son was on an autograph line for Stan and the line ended and he didn't have enough money for his autograph and Stan wouldn't take any of his money and he talked to him for about 20 minutes and gave him his autograph. And that's just the sweetest. I think that's a great sentiment to end on. Yeah. To Stanley and to all the original uh, Marvel bullpen. To the man. Thanks for everything. Thank you, Stan. We'll be back with another episode of This Week in Marvel next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.